everyone, and welcome to the well here at STSA. We appreciate all of your patience with us. It's just one of those Sundays where one go thing goes wrong and then kind of everything goes wrong. But hey, in the end, we all made it here. Microphone is working. Everyone found a seat. Y'all had some coffee. Hopefully you met some nice people. And we're going to have some fun here because we're kicking off a series here today called Confessions of a Bible Power Couple, which as you saw there in the intro video, we are going to go backstage and we're going to go behind the scenes and see the truth about some of the most famous couples in history. Not the ones that are in Hollywood or in the movies, but the ones that we call saints in the church and the ones that, that dawn the, the pages of the Holy Scriptures. Before we get into the couple here for today, every year, every year, roughly every year, I try to do one series on marriage and relationships. Okay, whether it's about marriage specifically or something about the topic of love and relationships and couples and dating or whatever it may be. And every year I kind of get the same reaction from people. It's kind of like, uh, we got to talk about marriage again. And uh, we have to talk about relationships and uh, and complain. And what day are we starting again? That's kind of how it goes. It's like, uh, we got to. And then when it comes that time, church is packed. The room is packed like this. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why. The reason is because, caveat, unless you choose a life of celibacy, which some people choose, and you can be totally happy and fine in that, and there's nothing wrong with that, unless you choose a life of celibacy, nothing will contribute, nothing will contribute to your satisfaction or frustration at the end of your life more than your marriage. Unless you choose a route of celibacy, nothing will choose, nothing will contribute more. Ultimately, when you get to the end, of how you feel about the satisfaction in your life or the frustration in your life than marriage. On the positive end, marriage gives you a reason to smile every morning. At least it should. Someone to love me, care for me, take care of me, my best friend by my side, okay? I'm the queen in his eyes. I'm the king in her eyes. That's on the positive side. On the negative side, why can't he pick up his underwear off the ground? Like, why does the underwear get right next to the hamper but cannot seem to go in the hamper? Or marriage is the frustration of why, no matter what I do, nothing is good enough for her. Why she seems to go out of her way to try to tear me down. And if I do one thing right or two things right or three things right or four things, she finds the one thing that I did wrong. Why everything is a fight? Why everything is, is, is conflict? Nothing contributes more to your satisfaction or frustration at the end of your life than marriage. And intuitively, come on, help me out on this one. We get this. Like, no one has to teach us this. Like, from a very young age, right, from a very young age, we get this idea of falling in love and this dream of one day we would meet the right one, Mr. Right or Miss Right, and sweep me off the feet and the white horse or whatever it may be. And from a young age, start with the ladies. Ladies, from a young age, don't, don't, don't deny it, you dream of your wedding day, right? You dream of your wedding day and what your last name is going to be and what it's going to look like. And you dream of that day with you dream of the bridesmaids and the flowers and most of all, the wedding dress. That's what you dream about, the wedding day. Guys dream a little bit differently. They don't dream about the wedding day. They dream about the wedding night. And they dream not necessarily about the bridesmaids and the flowers and the dress, but, but about the removal of the bridesmaids, the flowers, and most of all, the dress. I remember when, when my daughter Lizzie was three years old. Three years old. Three. Three years old. We went on a trip to Disney World. And we were, we were, you know, the one in Florida. It was, you know, my son was five and my daughter was three. 
and we did all kinds of fun stuff. And we decided that I would do one fun activity with each of them, like one-on-one. -on -one. Like we did all the family stuff that we like to do one-on-one -on -one things, spend time with them, separate them, you know, kind of do that kind of stuff. So with my son, you know, we chose some pirate thing, and it was great. And we were swashbucklers, and we had the pirate thing, and we were killing stuff and doing stuff, and it was just fantastic. Lizzie, what is it you want to do? She wanted to do a princess tea party. So I said, okay. You know, when in Rome, like we're in Disney, might as well do the princess tea party. So me and Lizzie go to this princess tea party. Now, I didn't know something until I got there. I quickly discovered every table was mom, daughter, mom, daughter, mom, daughter, mom, daughter, Lizzie, and me. The guy, the terrorist-looking guy with the beard, okay, that's me with my daughter. But hey, you know what? Like we paid admission like everybody else. We're going to have a good time. We're princess tea party and the little cups, okay, with the little juice or whatever it was. And they had little roses. Even they had like the, the, the food was little peanut butter and jelly, but in little squares. It was just so cute, okay, just so stinking cute. And then, you know, the program is about to begin, and the keynote speaker comes out, who was, I guess, was Sleeping Beauty this day. It was her turn to preach, okay. So she begins her sermon, okay. I think in terms of sermons, you think how you want. She begins her sermon, and she's sleeping beauty, and, you know, how old are the, how many kids here, whatever age, and where are you from? How many of you have ever been in love? In love? It's three. I had two instantaneous reactions, okay? My first reaction was to stand up, grab the mic out of her hand, Okay, and go over the four purposes and means of love according to St. Paul in the Epistle of Corinthians. <laughs> but then I opted against that. My second thought was grab my girl and run like the wind and get out of this place. But we had already paid, okay, and the dessert looked really, really good. It was a little pudding things, okay, so I, so we decided to stay, and I just glared at her every time she spoke. Okay, just the glare. You know what that? You know that glare? Yeah, yeah, that's me. So I'm the creepy guy with the beard and glaring at Sleeping Beauty as she walked by. But that's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. Find me any song on the radio. You turn on the radio, and you're gonna go to ten stations. Nine out of ten will be about love. You watch any TV show, it's about somebody falling in love. Even the best action movies have to have a dumb love scene just to corrupt them because that's all we care about is there has to be a love scene. It has to be falling in love, living happily ever after. Well, what happens when your dream of finding the one, your dream of finding Miss Wright, Mrs. Wright, your dream of that, that living happily ever after, what happens when you get married and you're still dreaming about it. You're still waiting for it to happen. Because everything that you were expecting it to be isn't there. What happens when you're single? And it feels like the dream is as close as you'll actually get to the reality. Because you just can't seem to get it right. And he's always a dud. Or she's always too cool for school. And you just can't seem to find that connection. What we're going to do here in this series is, like I said, we're going to talk about four power couples from the Bible, four people that we call saints, four people that we look at as examples. And we're going to see in these four couples that not everything is peachy keen. And there's a lot of mistakes that we're going to learn from. And like I said, a lot of things that, to be honest, may make us blush sometimes when we read some of these stories. But we are going to see what lessons we can learn from these four couples. And our first couple that we're going to talk about here today is Jacob and Leah. Hey! 
and Rachel. That's the best. Right off the bat, you know you're going to have some fun with this one because it's a story about marriage between Jacob and Leah and Rachel. It's about a guy. It's about a love triangle, but not your ordinary love triangle. It's between a guy and two sisters who happen to be his cousins. Hey, we're going to have some fun with this one here today. First, let's get some context and know who it is the characters we're talking about. We're talking about Jacob. Who is Jacob? Jacob is a guy, like we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is the guy who's Israel, the father of the 12 tribes. Like Jacob is supposed to be like somebody up here. But let's talk about Jacob before he was that great man. Jacob grew up with a father and a mother. His father was Isaac. He didn't have the best relationship with his father. Okay, His father really favored his brother, who was Esau. He had a very strong relationship with that son. And Jacob was kind of a mama's boy. Okay, So it was kind of Jacob and his mom, and then Esau and his dad. And Jacob... You know, messing around with his brother, pulled a prank, and his brother trying to kill him, okay? Just your typical, you know, brother-on-brother prank, and just, you know, got out of hand. And basically what happened is Jacob, whose name means deceiver, deceived his dad. Listen how twisted this is. These are people we call saints. Jacob deceived his father, who was kind of going blind, and he pretended he impersonated his brother. And in doing so, he stole the blessing of the oldest son from Esau. And the brains behind this whole operation was his mother. That's a great family, isn't that? Like, where was true TV when you needed it? Like, this is right here made for TV. Anyway, Jacob does this trick. His brother says, I'm going to kill you. And he's not joking, not like the brother stuff that we know. Like, really, I'm going to kill you. So his mother says, you got to get out of town, son. And she tells him to run. So he runs for his life. He heads towards his mother's brother, okay, whose name is Laban. His mother's brother, whose name is Laban. That would make Laban his uncle. On the way, he stops by a river on the way to see his uncle, and he sees this knockout, drop-dead, gorgeous girl. And he instantly falls head over heels in love with this girl and says, she's got to be mine. Now, again, let's just get the context before we get to the, the, the Bible. The context is Jacob is in, what is his emotional state at the time? Absent, not absent father, but never had a connection with his father. Brother trying to kill him, like really trying to kill him. Mother was the only connection that he had, and now she's gone. So he's really, and he by his nature was very emotional, very passionate. So Jacob was in a very vulnerable state, nobody, all by myself. And he sees this girl, and he automatically thinks to himself, this girl is the answer to all my problems. This girl is the answer to all my problems. We would never be that foolish, would we? This, this, this girl or this guy or this whatever is the answer to all my problems is a very dangerous place to be. This manifests itself today when you say something like the following. Single, if this girl liked me, if this girl, like if I could just get this, like if I had this girl, all my problems would be solved or this guy. If I can get this guy to ask me out, and if I get this guy, like this guy, he's the answer to all my problems. Married people, it's not just single people. Married people. Wife doesn't make you feel the way she used to make you feel at the beginning of marriage. She tears you down. She kind of chops at you with her words, and you go to the office. And, of course, there's got to be that girl at the office who makes the husband feel like a million bucks, and you just think to yourself, you know what? Man, if I just had a wife like that, and if I had a wife like that, and you think to yourself, ladies, my husband isn't, is, 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 I ha- he never takes initiative. He's not a leader. Every day I got to tell him what to do. 
which by the way, we're going to talk about that next week. Okay, but hold, so hold that thought. If I just had a man who took initiative, if I just had a man, then my kids wouldn't be so messed up. Then our finances wouldn't be what they were. If I just had a man who was like that, now you were entering in a very dangerous place. When you think, like Jacob thought, that the solution to all your problems is, that's where Jacob is right now. And that, let's jump in the Bible. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 29. We're starting verse 16. It says, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So here comes Jacob, falls in love with Rachel. Okay, Rachel was the girl who he fell in love with. He sees Leah and Rachel together, and he falls in love with Rachel, says, I got to make this girl mine. Now, we find out a little bit of information before we get to the story about Laban's daughters, Leah the older and Rachel the younger, and we're told about their physical appearance. Now, the scripture here, who are the, the translators of the scripture, are being very polite, okay, and trying their best to talk about Leah and said she had weak eyes. She had weak eyes. Weak eyes is the biblical equivalent of nice personality. And basically, the scripture is telling us here, okay, we don't know exactly what it was. Some people say that Leah had some kind of blemish or deformity in her face near her eyes. We don't know what it was. Maybe she had a third eye. Like, we don't really know what it was. But whatever it was, Leah wasn't really a looker. Okay, we can say that. Versus Rachel, lovely figure and beautiful. So face and body is what it's saying right here. And this is like the scriptures, like they, they give you the important information, okay? Now, you guys know me. I don't like just to come up here and just talk about, you know, Bible verses and stay on the surface. I like to go deep into the scripture. I like to study because you deserve better than just a surface level analysis. So I wanted to go deep into the study and see what does weak eyes what would that look like? So study the ancient texts, the artwork at the time, and someone with weak eyes would look something equivalent to <laughs> I knew that 199 app, but Lizzie got her iPad would pay off one day. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay, for those of you who don't know this. One of our staff members, Katie, and her husband right there doing a little switcheroo. That, that's what Leah would look like, okay? So Jacob sees that and says, oh, my goodness. That, that one's got, uh, you know, weak eyes, nice personality, good heart. She's got a really good heart, okay? That's what we like about her. Now, how about Rachel? Okay, we want to see what Rachel would look like. Okay, so again, in-depth study, analysis, and studied because beauty is something that changes across errors. So I looked across the historical time periods and I saw what would be a current modern-day match, a beautiful woman today that would match the beauty of Rachel. And I came up with, ah, that's right. That's my wife. Who was that? Who was that? Animals. That is none other than my lovely wife, Marianne. And I just earned so many points right now. I will not have to make my own sandwich for at least one week for lunch, okay? <laughs> anyway, okay, anyway, Jacob, let's go right there before my wife blushes too much more. Jacob sees Rachel, and he falls head over heels for this girl. This is the girl. This is the solution to all my problems. There's just one problem. What's the problem? He didn't know anything about her. He didn't know her name. He didn't know her parents. 
Like they haven't traded like Instagram handles yet, so like he could like check her out. He doesn't know anything about her, but in his mind, this is the woman of my dreams. Here's Jacob's problem. Listen carefully because this is what we're talking about here today. So our lesson from Jacob. Jacob fell in love with being in love. This is a problem. Jacob fell in love with being in love. Easy to see this in others, hard to see in ourselves. Someone who falls in love with being loved, being in love, is when they find that person and, like, he's nice or she's great, but it just doesn't add up. Like, he's great, but it just, are you sure? Do you know everything about this person? Like, the strange thing about Jacob here, Jacob, again, father of nations, chosen person of God. Like, he's chosen by God, father of nations. Jacob should have chosen Leah because Leah, old weak eyes, even though she may have struggled with the physical appearance, Leah was far superior to Rachel in character. And if Jacob had not just fallen in love with being in love, if Jacob had taken the time to study and taken the time to get to know, Leah was far superior to being a woman who would help him carry out God's plan for the rest of his life. And what we see when we see the rest of the story is Rachel caused Jacob some serious problems and got him into some serious trouble. He didn't see any of that. All he did fell for the looks, and he jumped into the deep end, and he made up his mind, this is the girl for me. This is the answer to all my problems. Let me tell you what I hear sometimes. Let me tell you what I hear. Single people, this is what I hear sometimes. I hear, oh, Father Anthony, just met the greatest guy. Oh, that's great. Like, I'm so happy for you. Like, tell me about him. Oh, he's got the cutest little eyes. And, you know, he's got this great job and his little tushy. Like, oh, he's just so great. And I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, like, can't beat the tushy thing. Like, okay, great. Like, tell me more about him. You know, like, what's he like? Oh, oh, uh, uh, he's a deacon in the church. Uh, um, um, he comes from a great family. The kiss of death for me is deacon comes from great family. Ladies. Do you know how many losers come from great families? Look around. Like, just joking, just joking, just joking. I don't care about his family. Tell me about him. Does he love God? Does he serve in the church? Like, is he committed in his relationship with the Lord? Like, does he read the scripture? How does he treat his mother? How does he treat his sister? Like, is he kind to the guy in Starbucks who messes up his order? Like, tell me about his character. Don't tell me about, about his tushy and his eyes. Like, what good is that? That's not going to do you any good. Like, like you're 50 years later, and, 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 and there's no money to pay the bills, and the roof is leaking, and the kid is sick, okay? Is that someone whose eyes going to magically fix everything? Like, going to blink his cute little eyes? Tell me a man who's a leader, a spiritual leader. Guys, you ain't off the hook with this one either. Don't tell me how she looks. Don't tell me that, 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 that she's the most beautiful girl that you see. Tell me she's a girl that's going to support you. Tell me she's a girl that's an encourager. Tell me she's a girl that when you come home, feeling bad about yourself or what happened at work, or maybe you lost your work. That's a woman who's going to put her arm around you and say, I believe in you. Tell me that. Tell me looks. Tell me, tell, tell, tell me eyes. Building a marriage on external, in love, garbage. It's like building a house on sand is what Jesus said. And that's just a matter of time before the wind comes and blows that house down. So, Here's what we're going to talk about. When you fall in love with being in love, three things that you'll notice when you fall in love with being in love. Just we'll see it in the life of Jacob. We'll go through these quick here. First thing is when you fall in love with being in love, you are in danger of compromise. You will compromise more than you should. 
You will sacrifice things that were really important to you, or at least you said they were really important to you, but you will be willing to give them up because you are so in love with being in love. Jacob sees Rachel. She's the one. I'll do anything for this Rachel girl. Pick up the story here. Verse 18, after he sees her and falls head over heels. Jacob was in love with Rachel. Okay, again, didn't know anything about her, but in love with her and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, you may look at this, and there's two kind of, like the 2019 response to this. Okay, the first response is, this is ridiculous and chauvinistic, and she's not a piece of meat that you work for her. Okay, do you just go to the store and pick up a Rachel? Like, that's not how it works. Okay, well, we say hold your horses here on this one because you have to understand the context. The context was, this was actually the way that you did it. And it's actually, it was a very loving thing is that when a man wanted to marry a girl, he went to her father and he offered something for her. Okay, not like a price tag as much as, it's like, like think of like a dowry kind of a thing going in the opposite direction was a sacrifice you would make for the girl. And the common things that you would sacrifice, number one, would be money. Jacob had none. You could offer livestock. Jacob had none. Your third option was you offer yourself. and You offer to work to basically pay off what you would, okay, otherwise have paid in livestock or money. The standard offer, the standard was two years. The standard was you want to marry my daughter. You got no money. You got no livestock. You work for me for two years, and then you get to marry my daughter. Jacob offered how many? Seven. The second response, again, the 2019 response is, oh, how romantic. Oh, how romantic. Like he only needed to offer two, but he loved her so much, I'll give you seven for her. Is that romantic? Or is that insane? Romantic would be, I want to work as little as possible so I can have her as soon as possible. Why he offered seven? Like read between the lines. Put yourself, okay, if you came from anywhere other than America, if you grew up like in the Middle East, Ethiopia, or, or Egypt, or anywhere abroad, you, you understand the concept of negotiation. Okay, everything is negotiation. Everything is, is discussion. Like, how much is this? Like, there's no price tags. If you walk in the streets of Egypt and Cairo, there's no price tag for everything. You negotiate. But there's like a common understanding. Imagine the common, the, the, the price of a little, a, a little thing or whatever it is, is $2. You start the negotiation. I'll give you seven. What are you saying? Read between the lines. What are you saying? I'll do anything. You're saying I'll do anything. And Laban could have played up the price, but he was so happy with seven. He took the seven. But what you're saying is, dangerously, I will do anything for this person. Married people, maybe you were in this place where you fell in love with being in love, and you compromised a lot. Maybe you compromised your friends because he was so controlling over you. He didn't let you go anywhere out of his sight. And you were willing to compromise some good friendships because you were in love with being in love. Maybe you compromised your family because she felt threatened by anyone in your family, especially your mother or your sister. So you, you, you felt like, you know what? I'm in love with this girl. She's the answer to all my problems. And you're willing to compromise. Maybe both of you compromised some morals you said were really important, and which you probably tell your kids are really important. But somehow, when you fell in love with being in love, they weren't as important. First problem, when you fall in love with being in love, is you be, is your compromise. Second thing, you'll become demanding. You'll quickly become demanding. When you fall in love with being in love, 
When marriage is number one, when that person is number one, they answer all my problems. You become demanding. Back to Jacob. He offers the seven. Laban is thinking, deal. Like, this is a no-brainer. He takes the seven years. Here's what we see next. Verse 19. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. And the crowd said, oh, so romantic. That's verse 20. See if you think this next verse is as romantic. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. Straight to the point. <laughs> like no, no beating around the bush. And actually, remember how earlier I said the, the biblical translators were polite? They're actually being very kind of polite here because what Jacob is saying is very crude. And what he's saying in essence is, you know what? Like I did my work. Now it's time for her to do hers. Not as romantic anymore, huh, ladies? What happened? What happened here, which happens all the time today, when you make marriage your idol, your goal, when you fall in love with being in love, you know what happens quickly? Is marriage goes, a relationship goes, from being about a covenant to being about a contract. What's the difference between a covenant and a contract? Marriage is supposed to be a covenant. I say covenant, what do you think? A promise that I make to you. A promise that I make to you. I say I will love you for, for richer or, or poor or for health or, or, or sicker or, or health or whatever it may be. I will submit to you. I will, I will support you. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will die for you. That's a covenant is what I will do for you. What's a contract? What you will do for me. A contract is you said you would, and I'm calling you out on it. You owe me. It's right here. I did this, and now you owe me this. Once marriage goes from a co covenant to a contract, big trouble. The analogy I always give, you probably heard me give this analogy before. Marriage is like a box. If you heard me give this story analogy before, tell it to every couple who's getting engaged, about to be married. Every marriage is like a box. Marriage is a box. And there's two ways to look at the box, covenant or, or, or contract. Let's start with the first way. Marriage is like a box. The bad way is, what can I get out of it? What do you owe me? So I'm getting married, and I'm expecting somebody to cook for me. And I'm expecting somebody to uh, be my companion. And I'm expecting somebody to provide for me. And I'm expecting, and those expectations, I'm not saying those are bad, okay? That's what, like, that, that's normal. That, that, that's what am I expecting. But here's the problem. Let's say you got a really, really, really big box, and it's filled to the brim. It starts with uh, the full to the brim. And every day I take something out, and you take something out, and then I take something out, and you take something out. What's going to happen over time? The box will be empty. That's what happens to a lot of marriages. You start off with a big box full of stuff, and we're having fun. We're having a good time. And, yeah, she's the best. Oh, yeah, and he's the best, and he gives me and she gives me. But if, you're, if your mindset is marriage is a box, what can I get out? Marriage is a contract. It's all about what I can get. It's inevitable that you'll become demanding. And that box will empty. And you'll focus on what she's not giving you or what he was supposed to do that he's not. Instead, marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a box. And instead of seeing what I can take out, I come in and say, what can I put in? Let's say I got a box that's empty. Let's say you got a marriage that starts at zero. You and your marriage today, you're at zero. You may even say we're negative. Like, is there a way to have negative? No, you're at zero in your marriage. But I guarantee you this, no matter how big the box is, if every day you put something in, and then she put something in. And then he put something in. 
and then she puts something in. I guarantee what will happen over time? What will happen over time? The box not only fill up, but what will happen? It will overflow. And that's the best part of marriage. When marriage is a contract, when you fall in love with being in love, you start to notice what she lacks or what he's not providing. When marriage is a covenant, you focus on what you are not providing and what you lack, and that's the proper way to approach it. So fall in love with being in love. Number one is you compromise. Number two, you be demanding. And three, ultimately, unfortunately, you'll always be dissatisfied. You never find what you're looking for. You never find what you're looking for. Jacob entered into this marriage with very unreal expectations. Or into this relationship. He's not married yet. He's about to be married in a minute. He had very unreal expectations that none could meet. And if that's you, you will be sorely disappointed no matter how hard you try. Let's go back to Jacob. Jacob comes in. I'll give you seven for the girl. Dad says, deal. Jacob works for seven years. They seemed as but a day, okay, because he's so romantic. And then he says that crude statement, give me the girl. I want to lie with her. Laban discovers he's got a problem. Laban agreed to marry the daughter, Rachel, but he's also got the daughter, Leah, okay, good old weak eyes over here. And weak eyes is the elder. And she, nobody wants to marry her because of, you saw the picture. And then Laban realizes, hmm, comes up with an idea. He's going to pull a fast one on Jacob. Wedding night comes. But weddings back in the day were not like today. It wasn't like a one-day event. Weddings were like a real feast. They were like a seven-day event. You invited all your friends. Everyone, the whole town came. And there was a lot of drinking that would take place. And most likely, knowing Jacob's personality, and especially when you see the story in a minute, Laban made sure that Jacob had his fair share of drinks, especially before the wedding night. And then on the wedding night, as Jacob goes into the wedding chamber, Laban takes his older daughter Leah and puts a veil over her face to cover her. Probably a very thick veil, okay? Probably many layers, okay? And he sends her in to Jacob. And he gives her the commandment to seal the deal, if you know what I'm talking about. Let's read it, what happens right here. But when evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. When morning came, this is a great <laughs> sentence, there was Leah. <laughs> like, that's what you got to read. It. Like, here's Jacob, worked so hard for Rachel, love of his life. Okay, seven years, and then finally the night comes, and he goes in, and they seal the deal, okay? And then I guess he was so drunk that he didn't even notice till the morning. And he wakes up in the morning and there was Leah. Like, th you couldn't make a movie about this stuff. No one will believe it. There was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, and you can imagine the tone of voice that he had when he said this. What is this that you have done to me? I served for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Listen. I promise you, listen carefully. Single people, you don't believe me, but trust me. Married people, you get this one. Trust me on this one. When you fall in love with being in love, when you fall in love with being in love, I promise you, there will come a point in time where you go to bed with Rachel and you will wake up discovering that it was Leah. You will go to bed thinking that your spouse is something, expecting her to be something, but you were so drunk, hopefully not that kind of drunk, but a different kind of drunk. You were so in love with being in love one day will come where you will open your eyes and say, there was Leah. And you will notice it is not who you thought she was. Or he's not who you thought he was. 
you will be in for a rude awakening. Now, here's the ironic thing. Here's the ironic thing. Someone else in this story was in love with being in love and was in for a rude awakening themselves. Who's that other person? Who's Leah? Leah. Why did you do this, Leah? Like, why'd you go along with this little charade here? Like, Leah, you're going into sleep with a man who made it very clear, I want your sister. I will do whatever it takes, not just for a girl across town, but for your sister. And you're going to live your whole life being second to your sister. Like, why would you do this? Why do you think she did it? What was Leah thinking? Oh, maybe if, you know this game, this maybe if, maybe if I give myself to him, then he'll fall in love with me. Maybe if I bear children for him, then he'll be hooked on me. Maybe if, let's go today, maybe if I lose some weight, then my husband will. Maybe if, guys, I grow back my hair somehow magically, then my wife will. Maybe if I get this job, then she'll respect me. Maybe if I get her get this gift, then she'll be interested in me. Maybe if, maybe if, 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 I, if, I, if I bear him more children, then he'll love me and care for me. You played this game before? It's a dangerous game. Verse 31. When the Lord saw, listen to how sad this is for Leah. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, because of course Jacob loved Rachel. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. She said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. That's so sad. She named her kid Misery to remember how miserable she was. Gets worse. Verse 33. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Strike two. Third time's a charm. She conceived again, verse 34. When she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons, so she named him Levi. Surely he'll love me now. Surely this will do the trick. If you fall in love with being in love, you'll always be dissatisfied. You'll always be disappointed. Now, before we wrap up the story right here, Jacob, man of God, father of nations, what's missing in this little story? God, thank you so much. Did you see any point in the story where Jacob prayed? Any point in the story where Jacob built an altar? Any point in the story where the voice of God was, like, was God anywhere in the story? This could have been a Hollywood movie because they had no mention of God. This was safe for public schools. I'm not overstating what I'm about to say. I believe it with all my heart. And I can give you evidence, but I want to call names. The end result of any human relationship without God is this. The end result of any human relationship without God is this. Big mess, big dysfunction, big disaster. Best guy, best girl. No God, good luck to you. I, I did a series way back in the day on dating. And one of the things that I said is that so many people think that to be happy, you have to find the one. Find the one. Okay, Mr. Right, Mr. Right, you gotta find the one. And I truly believe that. I agree with that. You have to find the one. But Jesus is one. Spouse is two. Fall in love with being in love? Problem. Jesus won. 
And until you find that one, until you're ready to marry Jesus, you're not ready to marry anybody else. Until you're ready to make him number one, it's only going to create problems in any relationship. What's it called when you think of something higher than God? When you worship something other than God? That's called idolatry. And for many of us, many of them, some of us, relationships become an idol. become something we put before God. Scripture says you shall have no other gods before me. Sometimes we say, God, you are great, but I got to have this girl. Got to have this guy. Got to, got to, this is the answer to all my problems. And doing so, you will get yourself into big trouble. Single people. There's a difference between how you know God is one and spouse is two. Single people. There's a difference between, you can see this with Jacob. There's a difference between I am pulling God or God is pulling me. There's a difference between I have this relationship and I'm like, come on, God, please bless this relationship. Come on, God, please, please, please bless this relationship. Please make this work. Please, please, please. Please, God, make this work. And I'm dragging God into it. Or I feel the exact opposite, which I feel like, you know what, God, this is what you want. God's like, yes, go, 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 go. And I'll be honest, I say, that's what I will say about my relationship with Marianne. I'm a slow mover. We, our first date was in November. We were engaged in January. By May, we were married. I'm a slow mover. But God is the one who pushed me. Because God saw that this lady was the best thing that could ever happen to me. Thank you very much. Two weeks of no sandwich making. <laughs> Two weeks of no sandwich making. There you go. But I'm telling the truth. And I get scared sometimes that you are trying to talk God into blessing your relationship. Do not do that. Like you could talk me into it. You could talk yourself and you could talk your parents. Don't talk God into it. Let God be the one pushing you, not you pushing him. Married people, maybe the reason that you fight so much isn't because of your spouse. Maybe the problem is you. Maybe it's not that your spouse is incomplete. Maybe it's you are asking your spouse to do something that only God can do. Your spouse cannot love you unconditionally. Your spouse cannot be there for you 24-7. I know, I just broke like all the Disney rules, but that's the reality. Because your spouse will have a sick day. Your spouse will be grumpy someday. Your spouse will break their back and not be able to help you carry the groceries. This is just what happens in life. Maybe you are expecting your spouse to be God for you, and if you do that, you will be sorely disappointed. You know why that's so sad as well? Not only you're putting too much on your spouse, but you're denying God his greatest desire, which is to be everything for you. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The spouse is the icing on the cake. But God is the cake. What happens if you just eat icing with no cake? You'll find yourself, you'll enjoy the first couple bites. But if you eat a whole thing of icing with no cake, you'll find yourself sick. And that's what happens in a lot of our marriages. Let's fast forward to the end of the story of Leah because I'm running out of time here. Leah has three sons. Every time she has a son, this time Jacob will love me. This time Jacob will love me. This time Rachel will be number two and I'll be number one. This time he will. After three kids, she realizes, you know what? Jacob's always going to love Rachel more than me. And then she does something strange with the fourth child. Verse 35. She conceived once again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, this time, I will praise the Lord. When she named him Judah, then she stopped having children. I don't know how, I don't know why. Scripture doesn't tell us. But somehow she came to the conclusion, you know what? Jacob is not number one. God is one. I will praise the Lord. I don't care if he doesn't love me anymore. I'm going to do my best. I don't care. I'm not going to live and die by my spouse. God one, spouse two. And she had Judah. Who's Judah? Who is Judah an ancestor of? 
Jesus, son of God, son of man, came, not from Rachel, but from Leah. And it was because she said, this time, God, you're one. This marriage is, marriage is, whatever this is, this is about as dysfunctional as can be. Would you agree with that? It's about as dysfunctional. You got cousins marrying each other, which is the least problem going on right here. You got all kinds of mess. But look out of this mess, the Messiah comes. Son of God. And our lesson is this. No matter how bad your situation is right now, no matter how bad your situation is, single marriage, no matter how bad your situation is, you make Jesus one, spouse two, you make Jesus one, all else two, and the best, best, best thing can still come out of that relationship. No relationship is too, if this guy is not too dysfunctional, then you are not too dysfunctional. You make Jesus one, and you watch what good God can bring out of even the worst situation that you may see today. So if you're married, this is what you do. You go home today. You grab your spouse by the hand. Yeah, you turn on whatever TV show for the kids. It doesn't matter. You just shove them downstairs. Lock them down there if possible. You grab your spouse by the hand. You go into the bedroom. You close that door. You stand in front of the cross or whatever icon you have in front of your room, and you say, God, you're one. Whatever we've been living for the past five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, it doesn't matter. Today, God, you're one. You're one in this house. You're king of this house. We repent, Lord, for not making you number one. We repent, Lord, for seeking happiness in one another and not in you. We repent, Lord, of making an idol out of one another. We will no more do so. We will no more seek what I can get out of this marriage but what I can give. First, what I can give to you. Secondly, what I give to my spouse. And then what we collectively can offer to you, Lord, as a marriage. You will seek to make God number one. And I promise you God will bring good out of that no matter how dysfunctional it may be. Single people, you will do the same. You will go home today. But you will go to your room. You will not take your boyfriend or girlfriend into your room. Okay? You will do this alone. Okay? You, will do the op you will go into your room, but you will go by yourself. Okay? You will close that door. You will stand in front of God. You will say, God, you're number one. I want to get married. I want that boy. I want that girl. But I want you more. And if I have you and not them, I'll be okay. But if I have them and not you, that's a loss. Jesus, you're number one. You're king of my life. Guide my decisions. Let me never try to talk you into anything. But instead, let me be in tune with what you are trying to say to me. I promise you, two people seeking the blessing of God, seeking to make God number one, that house, two people in a house seeking God, married people, two people seeking God, that house cannot contain the blessing that God will pour into it. That house cannot contain the blessing that God will pour into it. Truly make God number one. Last verse. Psalm 37, verse 4. Great verse to memorize. One of my favorites. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desire of your hearts. That is my prayer for you, that you would learn to delight yourself in the Lord, and that he would give truly, whether you're single or married, that he would give you the desire of your heart. Let's stand together for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we repent for all the times that we made you number two or even number three or even lower. Lord, today we make you number one, king, Lord, king of our hearts, king of our homes, king of our future, king of our relationships, Lord. We never want to do anything, Lord, that is apart from you. Forgive us for our sins and help us, Lord, to walk anew starting this day. All relationships, whether single, whether married, Lord, 
Help us to walk anew this day with you one, everything else too. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, the power and the glory forever. Amen.